You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. So it's back. This week, we're going back to the chop shop. And that means my guy, Brandon Jessup, is here. And we're going to discuss a whole lot of issues. So welcome, B. Hey, man, what's going on with you, dog? You all right? Oh, yeah, I'm doing good, man. Happy you know, Easter, it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When it got past the spring again. Yeah, this happy, marquee. Happy, happy, happy Easter and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are there. Absolutely, brother. You know, coming Absolutely. up. Coming up and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, let's get to it, brother. Man, you know who who got all this stuff going. I, I figure you go, you still down the city council making all the news and making all the noise. You just come back on a podcast and act brand new. That's what I'm convinced. No, man, I'm not making any noise just yet. Man, I, I, I just, I just read, I just read a lot. I pay attention a lot mm-hmm. and I talk to a lot of people all the time. Well, which is the same thing I used to do on my job. Well, and except now I got more time to do it. <laughs> I don't have stories to write. You know what I'm saying? Like, at the end of the day, before I had stories to yeah, write. Yeah, you had to you had to record, write down what you've yeah, obtained. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, now I can just sit at home and ponder what's going on in the city and kind of maybe put it on Facebook or not. Hey, you know man. I mean? Hey, man. The, the narratives that you're telling though is, is the truth. I mean, so like I say, like it's, you're still in the, the the cellars of city hall, and in some cases, man, I think you're up in the state house too, brother. I so, hear. So you. you know I what I'm saying? You. I mean, you know. Like they say, it's in your DNA. It's in your DNA. It's, it's in up. your DNA. It's man. in your DNA. It's in your DNA. Anyway, that hoodie you got is going today, though. Well, you know. That that monthly hoodie is going today. Well, you know, I got to represent my school. Now. That's what's up. Seventeen five two five Wyoming. I'm scared of you. That that's all day. I'm scared of you. That's all day. Seventeen five two five Wyoming. All day, every day. <sighs> okay. It's in your DNA. It's in your DNA. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let's let's jump on. Let's jump on in. Mm. So. The, the biggest thing that we have not talked about on this show uh, in the last several weeks is the Detroit City Charter Commission. It, look, it looks to me they're doing more arguing than getting business done, and they're four months in. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple weeks ago, um, they even called the police at one meeting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to, to watch um, uh, last night's meeting. meeting uh, shout out to Miko Williams who puts who puts uh, all who live streams all of the city city com- charter commission meetings mm-hmm. um, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I, I am able to you know watch the meetings and, and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so go with it. What <laughs> what are your thoughts with it? And then I'll come back with what what, what I think. Man, you know so so last night's meeting today today's Thursday yeah so last night's meeting. Was weird to me because the cadence that and, and to hear the people who talk about cadence and use a lot of words about systematic and trying to you know get a flow of things. It seems like these are the people who are consistently working against setting order. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's that's just one thing. So I jumped on my Facebook yesterday and um and I saw a panel of three talking about the other 
six members or just saying from their standpoint what they felt were the discrepancies and the problem with why the Charter Revision Commission hasn't gotten going as fast as folks want them to. Well, I think that for one, this revision commission hasn't taken the time out to say what we're going to try to do. You understand? Like, it's hard to say where we're going to go if you ain't got a vision of where together where y'all want to be. And I think that they had plenty of time. They didn't have to rush out and be in the public to be seen because, to be quite honest, all you're going to do is write rules for how the city going to operate. You know, you're not going to have an Elizabeth Warren moment. You know what I mean? You ain't going to be no big champion of policies. Somebody, ooh, look what you did. It's not going to happen like that because the rules that you set, they got to play out. Right. You know what I'm saying? They really got to play out. So I think when you when we come together, we elect people like this, you know what I'm saying, the boards like this. And in Detroit, like a lot of folks talked about the timeline between we when we realized we had the opportunity to vote for for uh, nominees for the commission as opposed to what, all the other stuff we had last year. <laughs> Look, May 7th, we just had a municipal election. Every county except for Ypsilanti, except for Wayne County, had something going on. I didn't hear the noise about this municipal bonds that was going to be passed. I didn't hear anything about the libraries that needed additional villages and funding. I didn't hear any of that in social media. So give me a break on no one told you about this small part about the ballot. And I, I, that's that's no excuse to me. So now at this point, I'm like, well, so the makeup and the it's, it's really just all personalities on that table. And I think, like, to be quite honest, man, like, get the work done. You know, so when we talked about in 09, they didn't have that timeline. But you know why? Because we was facing by the bankruptcy. And that charter commission had a whole different political reality as opposed to this one right here. Right. This one right here got time and. They can wait. They ain't got to do nothing. Really. So what what will it take to put put them on the same page? Because yeah. like they're like the Hatfields and McCoys. Like it's nasty. It, I mean, it's nasty. And then there's it, it does remind me a lot of the city council that Kwame Kilpatrick walked into, right. where they were divided. From day one, mm-hmm. where you had Kay Everett at the table telling other folks, telling uh, Sharon Fail, you may have won the battle, but we're going to win the war. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're sp- like they are split. True. You know? And so what 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 will it take to get them. On one accord. Mm-hmm. Even though they've got three years to do this, don't well, get me wrong. Yeah, I don't think three years is long enough to get a city on one accord. Think about it. Like, so we just elected a mayor that's in the second term, and the majority of the city still feels that is two cities, right? So, and I don't think that it's like six, three, two cities. I think it's probably like four, five, two cities. You know what I'm saying? Four people saying, "Oh, everything is cool." The five people saying, "No, oh, we got some stuff to change." I think there are people, and I'm gonna give them a shout. I think. Karen Reaver deserves a lot more respect being a chair. It's a shame to be how we treat women in, in, in leadership and for us to have the, the opportunity to have a woman to drive our process for the child revision. It makes no sense to see three women beat her up almost every last meeting. So this is, that's why I say like this ain't about, you know, some big power push because if you start to break down just the people and who's there, there's not too much between the folks. Carol, Carol Weaver has 
20 years of civic engagement experience. Nicole Smalls got 20 years of civic engagement experience. Joanna Underwood come out of New York, New, New Era, Detroit, you know what I'm saying? Well-respected, being in the trenches, putting in a little bit of work. And I'm going to be honest, a little bit of work because I done passed two ballot initiatives. You know what I'm saying? With none of that. <laughs> none of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like, so I, I'm coming from a space of where I don't need to create a fight to be progressive. And that's something I see right now, like with this healthcare, with the auto insurance thing, we so busy trying to figure out what side you on. 80% of this state is being paying, is paying auto insurance through the nose. So it ain't no size. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no size. So like you got to get to the point to where like when we talked about proposal three, it's about working families. That's why you get 70% turnout. That's why you get 70% of the, of the state to say yes. That's why you get 82 out of the 83 counties to say yes. Like this is common sense. Right. So, um, I think like it's people who working back behind the scenes. But once again, I think it does call on the Carol to call the folks together behind the scenes and say, what's our vision for this in the next three years? Like, what do we want to see get done? Do we want to say that we preserve the Constitution to a degree? And you do need to because the state ain't going to let you change a whole lot. <clears throat> but there are some things we talked about with we got changes to democracy that are pending right now. Detroit could be first on the board to like codify expanded democracy in the state of Michigan. That's that's beautiful. They could take pretty much almost what we just did in, in Proposal 3 and, and copy it. You got a mayoral election in 2021. All those things would be in place. Right. You know what I'm saying? All those things would be in place. So so, so what is it that the commission should be looking at and what are some of the things that, that you would like to see policy-wise um, on the commission or in the charter? You know, you know what's tough? Um, economic... Finding echo and economic um, equity, right? And I think that that's a place where we are now in our society is how do we uh, strategically distribute the wealth and the resources that we naturally create being American cities, right? And for a lot of people, that's like a, a lofty term. Most white folks talk like that. Black folks don't talk like that. We say community. But if you're in a majority African-American city or the population of this city is African-American, well, then you kind of like take on the, the duties of the nation that you're in, right? So if we have the duty of being the seventh largest city in this country, with the third largest GDP, according to international borders, we got to step up. It ain't no longer about like all of these white folks on this oppression. We are still the majority. So we got to step up and act like it. Um, so finding one of the, one of those ways is, is how do we fund our communities? How do we distribute our wealth? More equally, we talked the other day. Um, you and me and some other brothers talk about them casino deals, man. They coming up soon. <laughs> yes, sir. It's coming up in ten years. You know, and and so we talk about community benefit agreements. Hey, what was that? Almost twenty twenty some odd years ago, we kind of like set a groundwork for what they could look like, what they could be, and we did that yes. through through ballot. We did that through ballot initiative. Um, we had a fight over community benefit agreements uh, last year. Now is the time to kind of get it right. Where are our council members in this having this conversation? They set policy to a degree. Right. You know, and that's what I would like to see. But those are just two things. Okay. I mean, with me, um, there are two things that come to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been hearing a little bit of movement about term limits on um, city officials Mm -hmm. um, that we don't run into a situation um, where you have. A mayor that's that stays in office for fifteen or twenty years. What's wrong with that? Um, What's wrong with that? We 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 I, like simple monarchies, don't we? Personally, I don't have a problem with it. Uh-huh. But there is, I have seen that being placed out as an issue that people are 
concerned with. Okay. And it might That's be, fine. and, and that might be personality driven given who the mayor is now. Mm. They may, they may not want this current mayor to be here for 20 years. Mm. Um, because the power of incumbency is, is very strong. It's very strong. It's you know very strong. I mean? So, so there is some, you know, um, movement in terms of that sort of thing. Mm. And the biggest thing for me, um, that I would love to see in the charter is some teeth given to the city council members in terms of, um, them now being in districts. Mm. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, I've been covering that issue since 1999 mm-hmm. this whole movement towards districts and we have talked to experts across the country who have told us and i've been to other cities across the country um and witnessed where council by districts don't work or districts don't work if there is no funding mechanism for the people who are um the elected officials mm-hmm. they are just in a district and they have to then beg in a strong mayor form of government, then mm-hmm. have to approach the mayor to fix certain problems mm-hmm. that are going on in their areas. And so I would like them to sort of tackle some of the more meatier issues that are going on or that should be going on um, in the charter and, and not all of this backfighting. So so you um, mean, so you you actually mean that you would like to see districts that are self-sustaining that are, are, are you said you telling me that you think that the trick could have seven small micro economies working together to create one super city Darren Nichols vision what in in terms of this whole piece mm-hmm. is to utilize we have district offices right um and you have council members that represent those districts mm. and in utilizing those district offices, you could put people in all of the major departments that are within, within those district offices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and in the by district with, with your, with your district manager. And then, then a council person has a pool of money. A, a reasonable amount of money mm. to be able to send those people out from those various departments out to fix the problems that mm. are going on in their mm. neighborhood. That would be my utopia mm. of what happens. Um, now, will we get to that point? I don't know, but that would be Darren Nichols. Yeah. Reasonable way of, of dealing with, um, Having some sort of authority of how things can get done. Like mm. there's a water main break yeah. on, you know, on Finkel and Wyoming, you know, and I can send someone out from the water department like right now, right now to, to, to fix this problem mm. or at least mitigate the problem yeah. as much as you can. Your response time ain't your response right, time right. is it's not, quicker. not going through, you know, not going through. Going to the table mm-hmm. and asking for an emergency fix. Um, and then, uh, the administration has to approve that and then it has to be passed by council or, 
a, a citizen is calling the ombudsman mm-hmm. who then has to call the city council person who tells them about what's going on in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so it streams in my mind, it sort of streamlines the process a little bit better in order to get emergency fixes mm-hmm. done. Hmm. So, so you bring up an interesting piece that questions control and responsibility, right? So just because it's my responsibility to do something in the charter, right? So right now, like you said, like the ombudsman, that's an extension of what? The mayor's office. Like everything we're talking about, talking about departments. Like I haven't heard and we haven't created commissions, right? And so like like when we think about Barden, my dad bought cable. Our first, My first experience with cable, digital, anything was Barden cable. That was possible because Coleman A. Young, strong mayor, 20 years in, seeing the vision for something, said, we need a commission to help us to bring this cable stuff into our city, right? So then Detroit's one of the first cities that's actually, quote, unquote, wired, okay? Now, how do we go there in the late, in mid, mid to late 80s? And then the tech boom with technology and the internet and everything come up and a third of our city is disconnected. There is a role for government to play to assist in allowing certain things to come forward. <clears throat> so the ombudsman absolutely should not be at a large level because because all you're doing is just going to replicate the same process because it has to go through the man who hired me, the mayor and or woman. So I don't care who is in that space. The way it worked is going to be the way it worked. It worked too slow for us. And that's the truth. A city with, and how many times we heard it during bankruptcy? This city is 750,000, 750 square miles, and there's no way that we can cover all of this. We have to shrink the city's footprint down. And all they did was just really consolidate power. Control. So, so because, so now let's take the responsibility away. I like exactly what you're saying. Take the responsibility away from a centralized form of government because we've demanded that we need to disperse this power because we need to disperse also the, the economy. We need to dis- disperse the education. We need to disperse the resources more fairly. Okay. So I'm, I'm right with you, brother. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on to the next topic. I know, man. Let's, we got too much. Because we could talk about a lot of this stuff like all day. Right? <laughs> we literally could. Right. So so the second piece, and it goes to – um. One of the issues that we were talking about is fixes, the lighting problem. Yeah. This week, the Detroit News did a story that talked about nearly 20,000 lights were out, mostly on the west side. And mm-hmm. now the city is suing to recoup the $9 million to replace the lights. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And what does it say um, about the mayor's signature program? Because he was out here um, saying, even though the lighting authority was was passed yeah. under, you know, um, under Dave Bing's tenure. Yeah. Let's, let's be clear on that. Yeah. But when Mayor Duncan got in office, he dismissed all of those people who were on on the um, lighting authority and create and and put all of his people in place and mm-hmm. sped up the timeline and got it done in eighteen months and all of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. what does this mean in terms of the mayor and his time in office? Um, I don't think it's an indictment on him. I think it's almost like, like Jeep had, um, a whole bunch of malfunctioning parts that went the transmissions to the Cherokees and they had to do a big recall. We never went back and said, Hey, Jeep, why don't you cancel that contract with that Mexican company? They doubled down. 
the there's we put a lot of new technology in really fast because half the city was dark and I we that was the one hundred percent truth. It was dark because of mismanagement, not because of you know faulty equipment. <clears throat> and I, I want to be honest about that too. And old equipment. Too. And old equipment. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like we just did not maintain what we had. Now, I I don't say that that's his fault. I think it's more or less of a show of how of how corporate companies come in and sense your urgency and just sell you everything that they can as quickly as they can and they get out of dodge. Now, now the same thing can happen with as a matter of fact, look at our roads. How many construction companies do we go back? How many counties, how many times Macomb County went back and, and sued a construction company because the 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 potholes that they feel didn't didn't fill up the snuff. And those things go in the quiet. So I think that right now we didn't we should relook at the plan because one thing is that our water system and how we do electricity, it went out. It went out. And I think that the, our water system and electricity has a relationship that we don't talk about much. <laughs> it really we we just really don't talk about it much. Um most of our pumps and the, the things that are running underwater right now that, that keep our freeways clear, they are pumped through electricity. Um, so I think those pieces shorted out because you probably got faulty electric wires under the city. The same wires that run our plumbing are probably the same wires in the pipes that run our electricity. They are probably 50, 60, 70 years old. So I can lay the greatest technology on an old infrastructure and get problems. Yeah, I mean, you, that structure you know, is probably about 100 and now 100 and 30, 140 yeah, years old. you know what I'm saying? You start from, cause they built off the water system, the sewer system first. So sure. then you had to go up under there and to do your electric. So, so I, I would think that we gotta, the lights are, is unexcusable to have 40% of what you put down go, go bad. So you need to recoup 60% of your cost. That's the way I would look at it. So nine million dollars ain't enough. We passed bonds on that and we paying, we gonna be paying these lights until what, 2027, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's the real conversation. Right. You know, I mean, it, you're not going to let up on that bond measure at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. At all. Nine million dollars is dropping a bucket. So, you know, should the, should, the, should the mayor be leading that or should your corporate counsel be going after the company and really be a bulldog in that aspect? Or should Dana Nestle be in that conversation? Because we passed the bond measure. That bond was sanctioned and supported by the state. So now we're talking about a whole other level of conversation. I wouldn't even put in Mary's hands. I put in Data Nelson's hands. Right. I think she has more power to do something. Yeah, I mean, for me, I noticed that the lights were were um, in bad shape um, the night before Aretha Franklin's funeral. Mm. Um, and I was driving down, or my wife and I oh, were, were driving. Normally. Um, well, she was covering the Aretha Franklin funeral the next day. Yeah. So uh, we drove the... Uh, processional route so she could see uh, how things were going. I dig it. Um, and she stopped on, uh, a side street right off of, uh, Lasser and Seven Mile, right where the, right where the party store is. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one light on the street, um, and it's very dark. She gets out of the car and she's on the phone. And I see a brother walking down the street. Mm-hmm. She, she can't really see him, but he can see her, right? So she could, he could see a mark, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm knocking on the window saying, get, hurry up and get in the car, mm-hmm. right? So eventually she gets in the car and to make a long story short from throughout that led me to look down every block 
on Seven Mile the whole processional route mm-hmm. that night. And I noticed that there were a lot of lights that were out. Um, they didn't illuminate like what was shown in the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not illuminate um, in a wide area. And then on top of that, there were a lot of trees that were covering That's up right. lights that didn't keep neighborhoods um, or streets lit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a big problem. And so we're talking about an issue to me that is a little bit bigger than just the lights because it's a, we're talking about keeping citizens safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about this conversation of, of people um, wanting and needing to be safe in their neighborhoods mm-hmm. and what the crime rate is. And mm-hmm. all of these shootings that are going on um, in Detroit and, and we know that there's a correlation between the lack of light mm-hmm. and crime. crime. And so that is to me what is troubling about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's move on to our next part. Um, HBO and the Detroit District. And. Hey, Brian Gumbel did a cold piece. I didn't think Brian Gumbel had it in him. Oh, uh, I mean, he's, he's the man. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> think know. he had it in him. I, um, I, I remember the Today Show Brian Gumbel, so, you know. No, he could come with it. You know what I mean? He's, a, he's a phenomenal journalist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, so, you know, they were, the Illiches were supposed to deliver a bunch of spinoff businesses. Yeah. But then in today, but today in the paper, we learned that um, the Illiches are now backing out of the deal for the NSO Tsunami Center, which throws a mm. big wrench in the plans for their new to their new facility on Gratiot. So talk to me a little bit about this whole District Detroit piece and what it meant. So um, District Detroit reminds me of like when they built um the new bullet stadium down in dc um the new raider stadium is going to be in that back the backyard of inglewood you know what i'm saying um not the not the raider stadium, the new the new ram stadium is going to be backyard of inglewood um <clears throat> and so the, the that deal and then the the part that comes that got right into my mind was the new chrysler deal okay and the land swap so governments, and I got to be very honest, governments are absolutely powerless when it comes to enforcing business deals. They are. They are. Your local government cannot last, outlast a corporation. Of course, ask Donald Trump. How many local municipalities have he, has he almost bankrupted trying to keep them in court about dumb stuff about, well, I put the wrong name on the deed. So you need to put my son's name on it. If you won't let me switch it for free, I'm going to pull out on the whole deal. This guy will pull out on a deal over two, three hundred dollars. You're talking about 10, 20 billion dollars. Now, see, this is how petty people with a lot of money and power can be. So, yes. If I could see the Illich Corporation saying that NSO is not a good business deal to invest into into Gratiot is not a good business deal. It was never a good business you deal mean for on them. Third. On, on third. On third, I'm sorry. It was never a good business deal for them. The District Detroit employment deal was supposed to have 50% Detroiters, right? You built the stadium, but this was to come after you broke ground. 
You cannot properly staff up if you know you spent three years planning on breaking ground and then three months after you break it, do you tell me you hiring? Everybody hired. At that point, it's all it is to us. So we got to stop playing that game and thinking that somebody's going to keep a space for us because it never happens. It never happens. People move into communities and they invest into communities because they see opportunity because the folks who are already there cannot fulfill all the resources that are there. So District Detroit used to be what? Skid Row. Right. Period. So like <clears throat> that was the community that my parents and your parents said that it's going to come back. Watch. Watch. They're going to do something with it. And 30 years later, they found a way to do it on a, on a real cheap. I think that the piece about the companies that should have spun off from all that activity. Okay. You was gambling on that because y'all assumed that because the pistons came back to Detroit, you was going to just go ham. Mm-mm. But Bill Davidson ain't, ain't, ain't president of Pistons no more. So he doesn't have that same affinity with the bad boys in Detroit and putting the patent sheet around that. You got Tom Gores. He ain't nowhere near from around here. So that basketball team is made to make him money. So, so all of those entities that's going to lease Little Caesars Arena have to pitch into all the activities that are going into that community. You can't put it on the basketball players because they employees too. You got to put it into the investors. And those are the guys who decide who's going to have the concession contract, who's going to get the parking pieces, all that kind of stuff. And none of us were introduced to Tom Gores until it's done. So now you're bringing back people like Steve Yarsman to the Red Wings, all this other stuff. Have they even set foot into Detroit in the last 25 years? No. No, they haven't. So, like, I'm not surprised. I saw the employment numbers soon after. Um, the Little Caesars was building everything else and you knew what it was going to be. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. So like, and so, and the, and you they fell into the same old common excuse. Oh, well, people aren't qualified. Is that the third? And then we fall back into making excuses for ourselves as to why we aren't certified. So now what did the city trade have? They have a, a small business opportunity program and we need to find a little $250 that we need to get and could hustle it up to get the minority business contract certifications and to get the Detroit business certifications in and everything else. Because <clears throat> while the investment didn't come directly from that, it's ladies like the lip bar them ladies that that's got the spot over on East Jefferson. Oh, that's grassroots and homegrown. So yeah. And they just plugging along, working with the sisters that's coming to the city every day. And they're getting $20, $30 a piece. Now, in 10, 10 years from now, we're going to call them millionaires and say, look at what happened. Look how great they are. But right now, when we could be pouring more investment into them, trying to find a way to take them and expanding out a cosmetic industry in Detroit, maybe a textile industry or something like that, we focused on how come we ain't partying with the illages. And, and I'm tired of that. Like, expand that whole rough aspect. We cannot survive off of what someone entertains us with. Ford knows that they bought the train station. So if they've invested into the city's log- logistical center and they and they just double down on Wayne State, they got a new basketball arena coming up. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's exciting. That's minor league activity. Them little small dollars, they're gonna come up with a lot of medium-sized contracts with people. Right. You know, so so that's that. I think um it's a terrible story. But it's continuing to do more of the same because we really are not finding people to, so to be in space. why didn't we leverage meaning the city council and, and 
the administration leverage the power that we had. They had none. Well, Mm-mm. they had the opportunity with the Jones Day was breathing down their neck. But I, I'm talking well with with little with little Caesars, yes. But but it led to the beginnings of this community benefits conversation. True. And so knowing that we're we're everything that council warned about when yeah. they deeded over the land for little Caesars is now bearing into fruition now, right? And that led into this conversation of why we needed a stronger CBA. CBA. That's right. And so why what made us back down from a strong CBA and what does it say about what should be done because mm-hmm. when Dennis Archer you can people can say what they want about him mm-hmm. but the one thing and the smartest thing he did as mayor was sign those developments or to get the casinos to sign development agreements um which is unheard of in the casino it industry. created millionaires it, cre- it created millionaires it created millionaires mm-hmm. But it kept them in the city for 30 years. That's right. And, and, and what would have happened is when the auto crisis occurred, those casinos would have jumped and left Man, Detroit. You know it, brother. You know it, brother. Like it, you would have had nothing left, but probably Greek town. Maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so knowing that that is kind of the history mm-hmm. of what goes on, why haven't we been more aggressive in protecting ourselves you know why you know why lobbying is, is 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 a very powerful skill and 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 at that level like lobbying gets you a lot of return on investment for very low you know what i'm saying i mean like you say we opened up a conversation talking about the old council right the folks is at each other calling each other shrek we'll see some folks got got indicted for five three four thousand dollar dollar payoffs now that's technically six months car note right now in cities like San Francisco, where they have a billion dollars set aside just to feed the homeless, and they still have the second highest number of property crimes in the nation. Somebody getting paid off real big in San Francisco. So like in Detroit, we come off for the cheap. And that's the biggest problem. Now, we tried to put in other means to keep people transparent, right? All those things went off to the side too. So what would keep you what keeps an elected official or, or or someone who's who's arbitrating on behalf of the city square and fair? The only thing you can go for now is just to have open contact discussions and no business is going to do that. Right. So now you got to go back to holding some folks accountable. It's someone who I think was indicted in December who is still taking votes on the council. Am I correct? You are correct. My case is closed, brother. Got you. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> So let's let's move on because we got a couple more things and we're running short on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bob Bird. Oh man, yeah. Uh, the longtime confidant and press secretary of Coleman Young, he passed recently. Um, talk to me from your perspective about his legacy and what he meant for you. Yeah. Um, and what he did in and around Detroit. So so Bob Bird, man, like he was always two arms away from me. And I think that's what I learned from what being in politics, like what good communication specialists are, is that you never hear them say anything. <laughs> Unless it was necessary. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely necessary. So, like, I didn't even really recall 
him as a political figure until I came back from college and had been in the space with, with Kwame and things like that. Like that, that's Bob Berg. Like what? And I heard of Berg Communications, Berg, Berg Muirhead Communications. So I knew he had a really big firm and he was doing it. If you need something done, you need to go to him and you don't come with your back short. Um, <clears throat> Amen. <to that. laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's guys like you though, you, Jermaine Dickens, um, 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 like Kemp Trent, all them folks who Darcy are Darcy McConnell, yeah, Darcy, especially Darcy, all the folks who you worked out the mayor's office, who I engaged with either like as as in in press, right, and the way y'all heard my story because I always likened my narrative to be more of the blue collar narrative, something that Coleman probably would have raised, um, and I I think that's what I kind of give. So y'all had an ear for that. I think in, there's no other place in this country where you can talk the politics that we talk and be respected. So Bob put together a whole new cadre of people who understood the Detroit talk. And I think y'all, he helped to brand Detroit politics, modern Detroit politics. So, um, praise God for minds like his that could hear Coleman and Young and be white in the sixties and seventies and not take it personally. <laughs> That's a man before his time. Definitely. So rest in peace, Mr. Berg. Um, and, and thank God for all of his, all his influence. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, he was a major influence for me, mm -hmm. um, in terms of, um, I first met Bob Berg in person, my first week in college in my first journalism class. <laughs> so you've got this larger than life figure that's standing in front of you in a classroom. And I'm a 17 year old freshman, um, listening to Bob Berg impart his, his wisdom mm -hmm. and his knowledge. Right. So we go from there to me being a young reporter and getting chewed up what? by him. Right. It was a respectful chewed out. You know uh, what I mean? Because Bob is a really nice guy, right? Mm, mm. But you got to come with your A game. That's right? right. And as a young reporter, I was, I didn't have my A game yet, uh -huh. right? To then going to a more seasoned reporter, mm. um, in covering Kwame Kilpatrick, um, and covering his election and all of that stuff to where he could see the progression in my career and he could remember when I was a freshman in in college and he would tease me about that and it garnered some mutual respect um to over the years not only him being a source but but a person that we could chop it up for a little mm -hmm. bit right mm -hmm. so you knew bob was a man of few words mm -hmm. you know even as a reporter like bob is going to tell you the, the basic information he was going to tell you, you know, what you needed to hear. And that was it. Uh -huh. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, it got to a point that at some points, Bob would always take my phone call. Right. Mm. But he, he'd get on the phone. He start laughing. He say, Darren, you know, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> he said, you know, I'm not going to talk about this. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, of course, Bob, I know you weren't going to talk about it, but I have to, make I, have the call. to I have to mm -hmm. ask. I have to make the call. He said, well, you know, you got your official no comment kind of thing and then we talk about you know how everything was going or whatever the case may be how yeah. the day was going and how what's going on in politics or whatever just real briefly and then we got off the phone kind mm -hmm. of thing mm -hmm. and so for me um as a reporter he taught me the game in a certain respect because you had to come with it right and 
he taught taught me and taught reporters um, like Jermaine Dickens just posted on Facebook um, about mm-hmm. uh, a half hour ago or an hour ago uh, about how we could be we could disagree without being disagreeable. That's right. Right. And so he taught us all kind of the game. Right. Um, Jermaine would come in our office and he he go he get at it. Right. <laughs> but then at the end of the night, it's like, OK, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? That's right. You know what I mean? Um, and same that's, thing. that's Jermaine too. That's yeah. Jermaine. And that's the same thing with Greg Bowens and yep. some of the others. Right. Yep. And so I think that is what I recall about Bob Berg. And, um, you know, he is, it is a tremendous loss for the city. Um, his wisdom and knowledge is something that is, you know, passed on through generations. Um, and I hope that we can t- continue to keep that, you know, um, alive, alive yeah. and flourishing, you know. You gotta, you gotta keep some spirits though that, that, that give y'all some stories to tell too. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, Amen. you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it ain't too many people that come around like, like that era with Coleman Young and John Conyers, you know what I'm saying? And, and all the people that came through. Right. <clears throat> so we're going to move on to our next thing. Yeah. Uh, Mike Duggan and the, and, and the alleged affair. Um, which may or may not have led to his wife filing for divorce uh, last week. Um, Talk about um, that situation and other people locally and nationally who have gone through um, these kinds of scandals and what it does for their, for their offices. I think, um, because, because again, you're talking about last week that the mayor of Baltimore stepped down because of some improprieties that were that were going on there as well. So yeah. so we're not just talking about, you know, um a sex scandal here. I I'm I'm really talking about the overall picture of, you know, any kind of scandal that's hanging over a a mayor's head and sort of what it means for them um in office. I think um so th- this administration has done well keeping the heat off of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and if you look at this administration and compared to the Kwame Kilpatrick administration, like the first couple of years were tumultuous because there was a cultural shift of generations. You know what I'm saying? That, that what no one trying to even understand. And I think, I still don't think we understand that shift. Um, and so now if you look at like transgressions of people looking at things in city trade, you got the demolition piece still kind of going on. And then you got this man's probably going to get divorced. If he had a little what it's like Aisha Curry, right? She's like, I kind of want somebody to kind of like say I look kind of cute. So every once in a while, well, in politics, if if someone says you look kind of cute, a little bit too loud, everyone will echo that and it can turn into something. You know what I'm saying? Your your life is always in the fishbowl, the smallest fishbowl you ever had. So I think it's sick when some people pounce and say, ooh. That's what you get. I think it's just as racist to say to compare him to Mr. Kilpatrick. I think it's just as racist. I think that I've seen people talk about white privilege. You know what I'm saying? Because it didn't come out that like that. You don't know what you're dealing with at home. So stop. You really don't. I think that if a man asks for if a woman or man or woman asks for privacy, we should respect that. I think that if he feels and if the administration feels that that the heat is too heavy personally, they'll make their proper decision. The only thing that has stopped 
that stops the wheels of government from turning are pride. Right. And that's, I think, where we kind of like lost our way in the late, late uh, last decade. You had a, a, a lot of folks like, man, we earn this. We can't just give it up and turn it over for something this seemingly small compared to the vision. But it's the smallest things that tear up your vision. Right. So um, I don't have anything to say about about the mayor and his marital issues at all. I'm a pray for him. Pray for them both. If they split up, it is what it is. Okay. You know, but um, I, I do say that <clears throat> right now, um, if we want to be serious about making sure that we have a, a equitable community and all that stuff that we need in the districts, let's just buckle down and bear down on that and get about our business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Before we get out of here, because we only have two, a couple minutes left. Five, four, um, three, two. <laughs> uh, give me give me your final thoughts of on everything that we talked about. And while you're at it real quickly, talk about the changing demographics in Oakland County politics. Oh, boy. Because the commission has turned. Um, it's now primarily Democratic. Yeah. And L. Brooks is now uh, saying that he's not going to run for reelection. Yeah. And so what is Oakland County going to look like in, you know, potentially in the next four years? It's still going to have a, a white person as executive. County executive, because ain't no black person even trying to run. Second thing is, where's the money to support a candidate to run countywide in the fourth richest county in the nation? Um, so either I think that that progressives have the opportunity to take advantage of that. But so the thing is in Pontiac and Royal Oak Township and Royal Oak and a lot of communities where you have a lot of minorities um, growing or, or living and making good money, you also had the influence of, of the cannabis industry in that same space. So there has to be a conversation about social equity, social equity now. And I think in Oakland County, I think that's probably the most important place to have it. You have Pontiac. That's the county seat. If you can find a way to provide the to activate the social equity pieces that we voted on proposal one and in 2008, you will naturally start to see all that expungement stuff work its way into the system. But if if you don't have leadership at that county level. You're going to still see the same divide. And the the minorities in that community are gonna stay silent, and they still are, right? Okay. And give me your final thoughts on everything that we've yeah. talked about today, brother. We gotta stay blessed. We gotta stay blessed. We gotta stay prayed up. You know what I'm saying? But I think at the end of the day, like it, it does come down to the the groups and organizations that are like powering change. A lot of them got quiet in November, so that tells you something, right? Civic engagement is funded around events, elections. Who funds your civic engagement after the election? Normally, it's yourself. There is a problem with that. (laughs) There's a problem with that. So let's find ways to keep people engaged year round. I think we we get a a lot out of a lot of our problems. All right. Well, thank you, Brandon. Again, I appreciate, you know, you being on the chop shop today. Always chopping it up. Again, and chopping it up as we normally do. And uh, that's that's it for this week's edition of Beyond the Headlines. As we leave beyond the headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, 
We'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. Thank you.